It's time for episode 151 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, August 24th, 2016. Clockwise. Four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the podcast where class is only in session for 30 minutes per week. I guess that's half a credit hour or something <laughs> for college. If you're taking this for college credit, I don't even know. I'm Jason Snell, and across the internet for me, my co-host, as always, Mr. Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Oh my god, I'm not ready for class. My dog ate my homework. Uh, I lost my save files. Uh, <laughs> Today is the final go. exam. Have you studied? Oh, <laughs> pop quiz, hot shot. This is the show where we very quickly talk about four technology topics in 30 minutes or less, and to my left, joining us once again, it is the head of Giant Space Cat, host of many podcasts, and all-around uh, person who is always uh, making trouble and making the world a better place <laughs> simultaneously. It's Brianna Wu. Hello. I, I like that. I'm going to change that to my uh, official title at my company, uh, like always making trouble. That's, that's good. Put it on your I business like card. I like it. I like it. Uh, and to my left, Trouble Makes Him, uh, the host of many <laughs> podcasts, <laughs> including uh, Analog here on Relay FM, and of course, uh, the Accidental Tech Podcast, Mr. Casey Liss. Hi, Casey. Hello. How are you guys? We're, we're doing just fine. All right. Uh, so, four topics, 30 minutes. I'm first, so I should probably tell you what the topic is. Uh, Amazon is rumored to be working on a $5 a month Amazon Echo-only music subscription service. The idea here is that it's a discounted service because it's only going to work on the Echo hardware. You wouldn't be able to take it with you. Um, if you wanted that, you would need to pay them a little bit more money. I'm just curious a little more broadly, uh, what uh, music services, if, if any, do you subscribe to? And are you satisfied with the value you get, whatever you're paying out of those music services. Bree, what do you think? Well, I, you know, this is not something I'm going to use. Um, and I think, like a lot of people, I'm so invested into iTunes at this point that it would be just about impossible to, you know, pick up and move to a different service. I know Apple Music has gotten a lot of criticism, but it's, um, you know, it's the service I use. I especially like their live shows like Hyperhouse. And, you know, I find it, it's a very, very good value every month. I do think it's, it's notable that my husband, even though we have the Apple Music subscription, he still goes to YouTube and plays every single song he wants there just because it's a habit. So um, I don't really know who this is aimed at, like who is willing to pay $5 a month, but also doesn't want to have it, you know, really everywhere. I, I just don't get it. Uh, well, perhaps me. Uh, and I have, a, I mean, I have, I have reasons, which are um, that I, I actually, first of all, kind of appreciate that they're charging less here um, for a service that does less rather than do, having a service that does less and they charge the same amount, which was not at all implausible. Um, but I'm not the only music service I currently subscribe to is iTunes Match. Um, not even Apple Music. So I'm paying 25 bucks a year to have my library essentially in the cloud. Um, and so for, for me, that's a, that's a really good, uh, cost proposition because it's not very expensive and it gives me my access to all of my, uh, my music wherever I am. Uh, I don't end up streaming that much new stuff. And when I do, I often use Spotify's free tier, but the echo service is interesting to me because I really like the ability to just summon a song while I'm, you know, in the kitchen, which is where my echo is and, and washing dishes or cooking or whatever. And to be able to say, play such and such, and it will just start playing. Now, the problem with the existing setup for that is that it's, it's not terrible, but it's a smaller catalog. And so what Amazon's looking at doing is expanding that catalog 
to the point where it is as comprehensive as something like Apple Music, and you can say, play this song, and it will just start playing that song. And to me, the the simplicity and ease of that, and just the idea of not even having to think about it, is possibly compelling for four or five bucks a month. Um, it's not a full service, and it's not something I would use everywhere, but you know, this is already, if I really wanted that, I would have Apple Music already. So I think there's an, an interesting niche here uh, as far as that goes, and for someone like me who is not really heavily invested in the music streaming services um yeah i'm I'm kind of intrigued by this idea you know it's funny i trialed uh apple music when it first came out and i liked it ish i mean I, it didn't really do anything for me that spotify um didn't do the one thing i miss from apple music though is being able to say hey siri play the latest album by mute math or something along those lines and have it just respond and start playing music um so that kind of tips my hat that i am a spotify user um i love the crap out of spotify i've been using it and been a a paying subscriber pretty much since it came to america Uh, i love it for the discover weekly playlist all the hype is real i always find at least one or two new bands or groups or artists to pay attention to every single week they just added release radar which is the same same general principle as discover weekly except it's for new releases and one of the other things i really love about spotify is the um collaborative playlists which i think you can do on apple music maybe but i can tell you for sure you can do it on you can do it on spotify and so uh we have season tickets to my wife's alma mater uh their football team and so the people that we tailgate with we're all on one collective uh tailgate playlist and so all of us can just add songs or if we're feeling a little bit punchy remove songs (laughs) from this joint playlist and uh, manage it as a group and that's really really awesome and then i'd also like to uh, double down on what dan said about itunes match i adore itunes match i love not having to worry about what song is on what device unless i'm getting on a plane and i am already sad that i think the writing's on the wall and it's going away soon but uh, i love it for right now Amazon's thing, I think, is fine as an Echo user in the sense of trying to uh, have a little add-on that makes the Echo more capable. But I, I think it's true. It, a lot of people are going to want a full, full-fledged music service. But as somebody who actually paid for Amazon's version of iTunes Match just so that my Echo would play all the music in my library, um, I, I could see why, you know, as an Echo user, if you really get into using the product, you would be willing to pay a little bit of money just to make it more functional. Um, that said... Uh, I'm an Apple Music subscriber. I feel like I get value out of it. I'm surprised because I was always a skeptic about music subscription services. I think my problem is that I also do have an Amazon Echo, and it doesn't work on that. So if I want to play music on my Echo, I use Bluetooth to do it. Same with podcasts. And that's okay, but it's not quite the same as being able to, when you're cooking, just say, play this playlist, because it won't it won't do that. So that would be an advantage of something like Spotify. I've been very happy with the Apple Music A-List playlist, which is a similar kind of thing. Apple's mm-hmm. algorithm stuff doesn't impress me at all, but their curation impresses me a lot. So I think that these services and the prices they're charging right now have value as a, as a listener i think it's actually a pretty great deal um if i was somebody making money from uh the music industry i might have a very different opinion about it but just as a consumer i think it's uh, i think it's okay and i think amazon's smart to do this uh i don't think it's a product for everybody but uh as a little add-on to the echo to make it more functional it actually is kind of great a great idea um and so i wish them well with it 
All right. Uh, one topic down. Three more to go. Brianna Wu, what is your topic? Make some trouble or not. So I wanted to talk about uh, Bloomberg. They had a story this week about uh, the Apple Watch 2 that is reportedly coming out. And this was a, an article that got a fair amount of criticism. Um, you know, Mark Gurman, who used to work at 9to5Mac and has a, a reputation as one of the, the journalists that really, really gets Apple, contributed to this. And it, it's kind of, um, it's kind of, I, I think clickbaity would be a good phrase for it. Like it's it's critiquing the watch for not having uh, cellular built into it uh, allegedly, and it's just um, it, it's really like tearing down this product that doesn't even exist yet. So I have my own thoughts about it, but I just wanted to kind of kick it out to the group. So Dan, what do you think about that? Uh, well, I guess my my first impression is no, there's nothing really new under the sun. Trashing unannounced Apple <laughs> products it goes back to time immemorial. Yes, um, and you know, regardless of what instance institution is doing it there's always a bit of an uphill climb there i think you know particularly uh, john gruber i think seized on the sort of idea here for why this is feels a little tone deaf was the idea that um the the product roadmaps for these things and the timelines are so long and set so far ahead of time that it's not as if they made a last minute decision to be like oh yep we're just we were gonna put it in and we decided to toss it at the last minute um you know chances are this decision was was made months if not a year ago you know and and that that's the tricky thing is it, it sounds like they decided to ditch something because they couldn't make it happen when in fact i'm sure it was a calculated decision based on the resources they've had available and in terms of prioritizing what features make sense to put in the next version of the apple watch i don't think i mean there's 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 it would be nice for some in some ways to have cellular connectivity here but uh, it's a complicated feature. I don't think it's necessarily at the top of everybody's list for the watch. Um, and it raises some tricks in, in, you know, in addition with managing carrier subscription fees and stuff like that if you're adding yet another device to a cellular plan. So I can understand Apple wanting to take time to, you know, think through all the implications of this idea. Um, and I'm sure that's what they're doing. It doesn't read to me like they decided to toss something because it was just, you know, a last minute, like couldn't make it work sort of thing. I, I think that they made a calculated decision here. Yeah, I tend to agree. I I think that it is inevitable that there will be cellular support in the Apple Watch. I don't think it's coming this year. Um, it's also, like Dan had said, not something that's too high on my list. And I think that's in part because I'm really scared about how angry the carriers will be with this. And I don't like the idea of having to pay the, uh, my carrier, who happens to be AT&T, a little bit more each month for another connection. And maybe Apple will work it out so such that that's not necessary, but I would be very surprised. And part of the reason why I have a cellular iPad is because it can be prepay. And and I don't have, well, I could choose to have a monthly fee, but I don't have to have a monthly fee. And I've never paid a recurring monthly fee for the service on my iPad. I just turn it on when I need it and turn it off when I don't. And it would be awesome if the Apple Watch had similar sort of... Um, uh, functionality where you could either turn it on as need be or if or if it just rode on your existing plan but i'll believe it when i see it yeah a lot of the carriers are starting to have these connected wearable uh plans and the idea there is uh you would add a, a theoretical cellular apple watch to the plan and for ten dollars a month i think you would get not only data access but it would actually if your phone rings your watch would ring too even if you don't have your watch there so it's giving you phone access to the same line which there's value to that i mean we'll see how consumers react it's available for some android phones now but uh, you know for me uh, this bloomberg story is like Bree said it, 
it, it's a little mystifying because Mark Gurman has such a great track record and that this seems to be a little tone deaf about how Apple does its work. But one of the other bylines in the story is Scott Moritz, who has a history of writing <laughs> bad stories about Apple and has been dinged by by uh, John Gruber uh, and McAlope many times for some of the ridiculous stuff he's written about it. So I suspect, perhaps, that it's a combination of some of Gurman's information with some of Moritz's high-quality Apple <laughs> analysis that leads to this story. Uh, my favorite part of it, though, is the idea that, that Apple is sort of like begging the uh, network providers for help. It's like, I, I, you know, that that's that's not happening. Um, I, I think there's a trend here about the network providers. Apple might be trying to negotiate a different rate, something that would make Casey happier, perhaps, instead of having it be something that's a $10 a month yeah. surcharge. I Guess don't know. source that came from. There's good information here, I would say. Um, and then there is a story written around it to give it a narrative that seems to be a narrative generated by somebody who is either trying to make Apple look bad or just doesn't doesn't believe uh, that Apple Apple is as methodical as as all the other reports and all ev- evidence would would show. So yeah, it's a it's unfortunate that it's such a weird report and that it's got among other people Mark Gurman's name on it. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with all those points of view. I would say for me something that's really it, it's a continual frustration I feel uh, with tech reporting is it seems to come from one very specific point of view. And you know the Apple Watch most tech journalists I know um, happen to be dudes and they have to have gotten the 42 millimeter version of it. And, you know, Jason, you, I remember when I was complaining about the battery life of the 38 and you were telling me how the 42 is much better. So I'll, I'll take your word for it. I think this has consequences for reporting because for me, with the 38 uh, millimeter Apple Watch, my battery goes dead probably one day out of every four. Um, and that's with working out between an hour and two hours a day. Uh, you know, measuring heart rate just makes the battery plummet. So when people are talking about putting um, a cellular antenna in there, it really makes me scratch my head because if I had to make a priority list of what I want from an Apple Watch, too, as someone that absolutely loves hers, I would say um, better battery life is the number one thing. A cellular antenna is the opposite of that. I would say a more responsive touchscreen. Um, you know, I can't be the only Apple user that when I'm trying to, you know, activate, say, things on the mm-hmm. workout list, you have to hit four or five, six times. Oh, yeah. um, you know, and, and it being thinner, um, I thought I would get used to the design of the Apple Watch, and I just haven't. I think it's not a very pretty design. And to be honest, I'm kind of embarrassed wearing it sometimes. So um, I just think it's this tendency we have in our field to kind of prioritize what one very specific user might like. And, you know, the last I'll say on this is like, Dan, you also live here in Massachusetts. You know, we have had a lot of um, we we had a murder of a Google employee that went out for a run recently. Um, everyone I know that's a woman that works out never, 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 never leaves the house without her phone. Uh, you know, it's kind of a safety thing. So, you know, when you're talking about prioritizing a cellular thing in there, I think that is a priority that's coming from people that don't really think about that very much. So I just, it's it's bad reporting. And I'm just, I really, I was hoping for a higher caliber from Bloomberg. All right, that is two topics down. We have two topics left to go. But first, I need to tell you about our sponsor for halftime. 
This episode of Clockwise brought to you by Linode, a combination of high-performance SSD Linux servers spread across eight data centers all around the world. It's a fantastic solution for your server infrastructure. You can get one up and running in less than a minute. Plans start at just $10 a month for your own server in the cloud, uh, and you'll get uh, two gigabytes of RAM on that server. You choose your resources, choose your Linux distro, and your node location all from the manager tool. And once you're up and running, you can easily deploy, boot, and resize your virtual server with just a few clicks. There are more than 400,000 customers at Linode. They're all taken care of by a friendly 24-7 support team. They're open over the holidays. If there's uh, something that you need help with, they are there for you. They're committed to improving their infrastructure. They made a switch from uh, Zen to KVM, for example. Their latest Unix benchmark showed a 300% performance boost. It's the full package for your server infrastructure needs. They've got the power you require and the infrastructure and assistance that you want. As a listener to Clockwise, you can sign up at linode.com slash clockwise. That's L-I-N node.com slash clockwise. You'll support us and get $20 toward any Linode plan. And there's a seven day money back guarantee. So there is nothing to risk. Go to linode.com slash clockwise to learn more, sign up and take advantage of that $20 credit or use the promo code clockwise 20 at checkout. Thank you to Linode for supporting clockwise. Dan, topic number three is all yours. I was noticing the other day that when I do certain tasks like export audio files, I still turn to QuickTime 7 Pro, QuickTime Pro 7. Jeez, it's so old, I can't remember what order it goes in. Um, but, you know, I keep uh, some older software around occasionally to do tasks that either newer versions of that software don't do or just because I haven't found anything else that, like, handles the same task. I was curious to know if you guys have any other sort of, like, old or long-running apps that you keep around for, like, one thing because you've never found, like, a better solution, even if that app itself is, like, dead and not supported anymore. Casey, I know you love these sorts of questions, so I assume you can't be fair. <laughs> I did, but surprisingly, I don't really have that much. Um, the only really great example I could think of was I used to run an ancient version of Quicken. I think it was, like, Quicken 2003 to uh, manage my finances. It ran on like Windows uh, Windows XP or something like that. And I remember there was a period of time where I would run it via Wine in uh, when I was running Ubuntu Fun Time. That's how dedicated I was to it. And then when I moved to the Mac, I ran it in a VM for a long time. And eventually I just got sick of it and it was so ancient that I switched to MoneyWell, um, which I'm still using and is fine. I really feel like there's plenty of room to improve in the personal finance tracking category on the Mac. But be that as it may, that's what I've been using. Um, I think that if there were anything that I would use that would be for th- doing this sort of thing, it would be uh, what FFmpeg does for me now. And I've found over the years that I've gotten more and more confident being able to use FFmpeg on the f- on the command line to transcode videos, clip videos, uh, rotate videos on occasion, and do any sort of like media management via FFmpeg. And that's probably the one thing that it's old, but also new because it's still in active development. And so that it, without FFmpeg, I'd be really lost. So old, uh, old software. I don't know. I have Lingo open right now. It's an IRC client that I think is really good. And the guy who wrote it like d- deleted everything from the internet and went away. And li- it's no longer available anywhere. It's really depressing because uh, I like it better than Colloquy. 
Um, so, hey, everybody out there, check out Lingo. You can't get it. You can't find it. Oh, it's so sad. <laughs> that was the ultimate hipster answer, Jason. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's like it's artisanal and uh, and all that. I someone know. build me an IRC client. I, don't know. I, I do have Qu- QuickTime uh, 7 around uh, similarly where it, where it launches a lot and it's it, it, just for one task and then I put it away again. Um, I, I, you know, I keep lots of stuff. I've got I've got like Sigil and 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 Caliber, the ebook things that I use occasionally, but I keep them around because I've got they're 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 single taskers. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say Lingo is the is the best example because that's a that's a product that's dead, and yet I will you know until it stops working, I'm going to keep using it. Um, I would say for us at GSX, uh, we use QuickTime 7 all the time just because it is so much more flexible with Windows codecs. So if we render out a bunch of frames, uh, like a, a Windows employee does that uh, and renders out frames, I can't see it with QuickTime, uh, QuickTime X for whatever reason. So we use that all the time. Um, also, there is um, X-Quartz. Uh, Apple deprecated uh, their native support for uh, Quartz a few operating systems ago. I think it was three. And I use a UVing tool for 3D work that is very, very, very dependent on that technology. So I'm always, every time they roll out a new OS, I'm just, I've got my fingers crossed. I'm just praying that uh, that doesn't break, as well as Soundtrack Pro. Um, you know, this is a part of Final Cut that a lot of people uh, really don't even remember. But I just am not going to pay for Adobe's subscription service. Like, Casey, the way you feel about cellular fees with your carriers, I feel that mm-hmm. way about Adobe stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, every single time a new one comes out, I'm like, oh, please don't break. So, you know, I, I have no shame about losing using uh, legacy software myself. Yeah, those are all good answers. The other one I, I thought of for me was for a long time, I finally gave up on it, but I was using the old version of GarageBand to edit podcasts, <laughs> the one that actually had podcast features. And I moved to the new one, and honestly, it's not that much better, and they took out a bunch of stuff. So mm-hmm. I, like you, Bri, I'm, I'm hoping every time that you know Apple revamps OS X, I'm like, oh, maybe they'll update GarageBand and add more podcasting stuff. <laughs> nope, it's not happening. <laughs> Casey, what's our last topic? So we are nearing the end, but it is still uh, iOS beta season. And I was curious, do you put beta versions of iOS, macOS, tvOS on your devices? And if so, do you have a strategy behind which device or perhaps when you install it? And since two of the four of us are professional journalists, I'd be curious to hear if you didn't write about these sorts of things for a living, would that change your answer? So I will I will answer last and let's start with. (laughs) Okay, fine. Save it for the end. Home field advantage. Um. (laughs) I, I, uh, I, I do put beta versions on because it is my job, right? I mean, I, I'm writing a book about the new version of my book about photos. Um, I need to reference the current version and I need to use, and as I'm writing about a new version of OS 10, right? I need to have an iOS both. I need to have used them and, and having them on the side where you poke at them a little bit and then go back to using the old versions to do your job. Ultimately, you can't you can't do that forever. You have to dive into the beta at some point and actually live with it. And and so I've been doing that for the last uh, few weeks, uh, in some cases, and, and few months, and in, in other cases. If I was a a regular, I, I would like to say if I was a regular person who didn't have to do this for their job, that I w- I wouldn't do that. But I mean, let's be serious. I I would be totally on the public beta uh, uh, of these things. Maybe not right when they came out, but pretty close to it. Just because I feel like that's how I'm wired. I want the latest and greatest. 
scientist, even though it's not um, necessarily safe, which is why I always try to be a voice of, uh, of, uh, of warning when these come out to like, you know, know what you're getting yourself into when you're running beta software. I know it's really exciting to use tomorrow software today, but if your phone breaks, you have no phone. So I, I try to throw that out there. Um, and then for me, it's always have a, have, 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 have a backup, have some other way of doing what you're doing with that device. If, if it really starts to break down. So like this year I installed the iOS beta on my phone way before my iPad. Cause I actually use my iPad a lot more than my phone. And so that way I had like one solid old iOS device, uh, and then one that was on the, on the bleeding edge. And with my Mac, I actually had a separate hard drive and I just boot into one or the other. So that's my strategy. I think for me, I learned my lesson after enough bad experiences. I did this with, uh, you know, Mavericks when that came out. It broke Maya, which was a, you know, it's a critical software, uh, 3D software that I use. Um, and it, it hugely screwed over my company. I couldn't do any of my work and I had to, in fact, uh, wipe my entire machine and start over just to get back to the old version. So, uh, we don't do it at all at my company. The only exception is everybody thinks that we use Xcode to put out our games at GSX, and that's not true. We use Unreal Engine. And what's really frustrating about Unreal Engine is when things come up with new versions of the software, we have to wait for Epic to get the software from Apple and then for Epic to update it and then to send it to us so then we can update our software. So we do go through, we have like a pile of test devices that we will put that beta software on just to make very sure it doesn't break anything. But, you know, other than that, I just, um, I, I think I would just be honest. I don't find, these days, I don't find new features of um, OS ten that compelling to risk my entire pipeline. Yeah, you know, for me, I drive a Honda Accord because I know when I go sit down behind it, it's going to turn on, it's going to work, and it's a very dependable tool. That's the exact reason I use Macs. And you know, installing unstable betas is just simply the opposite of that. Uh, I think at this point, I have something the beta ends of pretty much every platform installed on at least one device. Um, I've got iOS 10 running on my phone. I've got macOS Sierra running on my MacBook Air. Um, I've got watchOS 3 going, um, which is part of the reason I installed the iOS 10 beta on my phone. Um, and I, in, over the weekend, I installed the uh, tvOS beta as well. Um, which was actually the last one, and that's because that's how important watching TV is to me. Um, <laughs> and I would probably install it on my car because that, if that was a thing, because that's how dumb I am, apparently. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, like Jason, I write about a lot of this stuff, and so having it and living with it is a big deal. Um, if I did not write about this stuff, I'd probably be doing it anyways, because like Jason, I think I always enjoy being sort of on the bleeding edge, even when that occasionally leads to my demise. Um, I remember back in, uh, you know, when, when the first version of OS X came out, the public beta came out, I installed that on, on a partition, to be fair, but uh, I remember playing around with that and a lot of stuff, and that was, that was not an operating system you could get a lot of stuff done in. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think for me, I, I try to be careful. I try to keep devices running on the older versions, both for comparison sake and to make sure I have some sort of safety net. Um, I started out trying to run iOS 10 on another device. And like Jason said, it's just, it's just not the same, like dabbling in it is not the same as living with it. It really is a totally different experience. So, uh, as far as I go, I will probably, uh, always be installing betas on at least some of my devices, uh, as long as Apple offers them. 
Yeah, so I was dumb enough to put, was it iOS 5 that introduced Notification Center? I think it was. Uh, Whatever version of iOS introduced Notification Center, I put that on my phone while I was at WWDC because I'm a fool. And I have forever regretted that one maneuver, even though it hasn't, you know, nothing, nothing has continued to bother me about it years later. But oh, God, it was so rough. And so I, generally speaking, am either very, very, very late on putting... Uh, the new beta on my phone, or I just don't do it at all. This year, I waited until our beach vacation was over. So I just put the iOS 10 beta on my phone a couple of weeks ago. It had been on my iPad, which for me is my less critical device. Um, I think since beta one, because if my iPad doesn't work properly, it's not the end of the earth. I, however, never, ever, ever touch uh, OS 10 betas or soon to be Mac OS betas. Uh, Like Brianna was saying, I just don't think it's worth all the hassle. And I'm not confident that things won't break. And for whatever reason, I have considerably less tolerance of things going wrong on my Macs than I do on my iOS devices. So in 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 summary, I always put betas on my iPad, occasionally on my phone, but if so, very late in the beta cycle, and never, ever, ever get that thing near my Mac. Wise people here, except for those who <laughs> have to be unwise uh, because it's their job. So uh, thank you all. That was four great topics. We have time for a bonus topic only before we go, and it's a quick one. It's back to school time. My son went out the door this morning for his first day at school, and I was just kind of curious. What was your favorite subject in school, Bree? Computer science. I'm not surprised. Dan? <laughs> uh, I'll follow a trend with that and say English. Also probably not surprised. Not surprising. <laughs> yeah, for me, it was basically anything that put me in front of a computer. So, you know, typing or, you know, we didn't really have computer science, but something something like that. I, we had some sort of introductory computer course. Anything that would sit me in front of a computer, that was my favorite. That's awesome. In high school, I took video production for three years. That was my oh. elective. Oh, that awesome. was what I did. And that was my I favorite. One year of that. It was great. It was pretty great. All right. We've reached the end another clockwise is in the books uh brianna Wu, thank you so much for being here people can listen to you on relay fm on rocket and disruption thanks for being here thank you casey Liss, thank you for being here people can listen to you but they don't have to is the important thing thanks for uh, having me as always it's always a blast and uh that's it dan we made it through another one yeah uh, surprisingly after 150 we came back for another round i guess uh yeah i guess that's a good trend onward to 300 but uh (laughs) until next week when we will be right back here we remind you watch what you say and keep watching the clock bye everybody